0: Let us pray. Lord, uh, we ask that you would help us to avoid uh, being like the man in James who looks at himself in a mirror and immediately going away forgets what he looks like. Help us to look intently into your word. Give us ears to, to hear, eyes to see, hearts um, that are eager to believe and obey and wills that put your word into practice. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the Holland household, we have two uh, one-year-old dogs. They are miniature schnauzers. I walk into the room and they start wildly jumping up and down. Even if I go outside for 20 minutes and come back, and they haven't seen me for, the, for just such a short period of time. I walk back in, and they're so excited to see me. And I bend down to pet them, and their stubbly little tails are just wagging as fast as they can. Uh, they're jockeying for position to see who can get the most of my attention. And the way they act, they must be thinking to themselves, He's the greatest guy in the world. He must be the master of the universe. Well, we also have a cat, my daughter's cat. And on those occasions that she consents to let me pet her, she shuts her eyes as if to think to herself, I must be the master of the universe. And I'm glad that that man has bent down to uh, rub my head. Um, you know, we like to profess that our salvation is by grace alone, but truth be told, there is a perverse human tendency to to uh, think more like the cat than like the dogs. Um, we become Christians, and we are so undone by our sins that we are naturally very humble. We understand that we are saved by God's mercy alone. And so, uh, early on in our Christian walk, we're more like uh, the dogs. God was everything to us, and we reflexively jumped uh, and bounded at every chance to worship God and give Him glory. But as time goes by, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, a subtle unbelief begins to grow as we start to confuse uh, the power of the Holy Spirit with our own abilities, and we begin to take the grace of God for granted. Uh, Because the Holy Spirit is at work in us, we begin to make positive changes in our life, but those changes can unwittingly become a source of sinful pride. We may not think that uh, we must be the master of the universe, but we silently imagine that we must be pretty good. A variation of this trip toward Pridesville must have overtaken the disciples here in Luke chapter 9. The events of Luke chapter 9 must have been a real exciting time for the disciples. Remember, Luke chapter 9 starts off, Jesus sent them out on this preaching tour throughout Galilee. He gave them power to heal diseases. He gave them power to cast demons out of people. Uh, And then soon as they returned from their preaching tour, the crowds gathered And Jesus had His disciples distribute five loaves of bread and two fish. And those five loaves and two fish fed 5,000 people. Even though Jesus was the one who did the miracle, the disciples are distributing the bread. The people, this great crowd, is seeing these 12 disciples as Jesus' close companions. Such such ministry successes can easily cause one to begin to grow a very healthy ego. And it would seem that all the disciples were suffering from such an inflated ego. But then a couple of things happened that caused the egos within the group to begin bumping into each other. First of all, remember... We've been in in Luke chapter 9 a while. You may have to think back in your memory banks a little bit. Jesus invited only three of the disciples up the mountain to go witness the transfiguration. Peter, James, and John went with Jesus up the mountain. The other disciples stayed behind down the mountain. Uh, And then the nine who stayed behind... There was a demon-possessed boy, and they tried to cast a demon out of this boy, and they were unsuccessful. So this failure, I think coupled with um, jealousy towards Peter and John and James, must have sparked an unhealthy discussion uh, that caused them then to start arguing among themselves as to which of them was the greatest Now, Jesus knew what they were arguing about. In Mark's account, um, it says that Jesus asked them what they were talking about. And it says that they kept silent. They nurtured uh, their pride, even though they knew it was shameful. And so, when Jesus asked them, they shut their mouths. And instead of just sharply rebuking them, Jesus took a child and he put the child by his side and he said to his disciples, whoever receives this child in my name receives me and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. In Jewish culture, children were loved and cherished, but... Uh, they were also the smallest and, and least uh, powerful uh, individuals in all the society, and so the religious uh, the Jewish religious leaders even wrote in the Talmud some, some of their uh, religious writings about life and how they were uh, to, to worship God. Um, And these were not biblical writings. In fact, Jesus rebuked them for many of the things that they wrote and believed in the Talmud. But these Jewish leaders these Jewish religious leaders regarded spending time with children to be a waste of time. They said that keeping company with children added nothing to a man. And so we see this, this, this attitude in the disciples when we, if we were to look ahead to Luke 18, uh, when people were bringing their children to the disciples uh, or to Jesus for Him to lay hands on them and bless them. The disciples were turning them away. Jesus doesn't have time for that. Jesus is too important to receive and bless these children. And so the disciples had a very worldly view of of children. So Jesus here takes this small child to rebuke their pride and to rebuke their worldly attitudes about greatness. Greatness in God's kingdom is not determined uh, by any kind of spiritual pecking order. By taking the child, Jesus was saying that greatness is not determined by one's ability or by one's worldly status. Um, I I probably shouldn't admit this. Um, I'm glad I'm growing a a manly beard. Otherwise, I'd probably have a few uh, uh, men points taken away from, from me for admitting that I've been watching Downton Abbey and enjoying it. And so now my wife and I are watching other um, movies from that or, or sitcoms from that same era, you know, Victorian life, post-Victorian life. And you know, there's a pecking order to society. And a person uh, is seen as great in relation to who they are married to or who they're related to or who they know. And Jesus is blowing that kind of thinking completely out of the water. Uh, He's turning the the disciples' ideas of greatness on his head. So first of all, Jesus was saying that greatness is only a gift from God. It's not deserved. This child has no greatness in itself. But if one receives this child... In Christ's name, in other words, if Christ sent that child in His name to someone, and you receive Him in Christ's name, it's as if you were receiving the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. This child had greatness and had responsibility, and was deserving of anyone and everyone, even the the, a great king of England would receive this child if it was sent in Jesus' name because it had His authority derived from Jesus Himself. And and if you receive this child in Jesus' name, Jesus says you also receive the Father as well. So this child had no greatness in himself. But this child had a greatness that's derived only from the Lord Jesus. And the lesson is... None of us have any greatness in ourselves. You know, people like to honor the preacher. Uh, the Bible instructs us to do that. But it is the Holy Spirit that makes the preacher uh, to be more attractive than the preacher really is. Um, people are drawn to the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit at work in the preacher. You know what often happens preacher begins to think that he's the one who attracts the people. His abilities. Um, Jesus tells us in John chapter 15, verse 5, Without me, you can do nothing. I've said that on many occasions, that this passage, that little phrase is, is my favorite Bible verse. Because I believe... I know that the Lord Jesus is telling me that every day, every moment of every day. And I listen to that, and I treasure it, yet so easily I put it behind me and start puffing myself up, having one of those ego parties that uh, the disciples were having. And this child was also intended to teach the disciples about how they were to prioritize their ministry. It's tempting to seek out the rich and the powerful, to minister to those who can do something for us. But Jesus is telling the disciples to receive the weak because in so doing, they were receiving him, right? Matthew 25, when you uh, go and visit someone in the jails, You're visiting the Lord Jesus Christ. We are called to look outside our own interest. Not only in the way we live our lives, but also in the way we conduct ourselves in ministry. Sunday mornings, when we are here, it's very tempting to run directly to our friends because we haven't seen them. But also... Look outside yourself. Look around and see if there's someone you don't know. See if there's someone standing by themselves. Look to the person who is not being ministered to and go and seek to minister to them. We're to look beyond the interest of those who are highly visible to us, we're to look to the interest of those who are weak and are helpless. Just like this child, when Jesus says, uh, "For he who is least among you uh, among you all is the one who is great, I believe that he's not just talking about personal humility, but I think he's also talking about humble service. You know Again, I'm the preacher. I'm out front, and you know, everybody sees me. I put the West in Westminster, right? <laughs> But there are those who are working behind the scenes, meals on wheels, working in the nursery, working in the the women's ministry, doing things that, that nobody else sees. And Jesus is saying, when you are involved in that humble ministry, that qualifies you for greatness in Christ's kingdom. Jimbo's out there among the poorest in our communities. He's over in Polk County three times a week down in uh, southeast Polk County, down in the jail, uh, ministering tirelessly out of view of our congregation. And Jesus is saying those that are engaged in in that kind of humble service are... Though, are, are the great ones among us. I think Jesus is also teaching about the relationship that he loves to have with children. Jesus loves the little children, doesn't he? Children, Jesus brought that child and brought him to his side. I want to tell you, children, there's no better place to be than to be close beside Jesus. Jesus is teaching another lesson as well, although it would not become clear to the disciples until much later. Jesus was also teaching them about himself. Jesus was obviously the greatest among them, right? But he had also become the least Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8. Though Jesus was God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus left the highest place. He left infinite glory. He left His unbroken fellowship with His Father to come down here into our world, to be born into our sinful, broken world. And He did not come to be served, but He came to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Jesus went low, even to the point of dying a criminal's death on the cross for sinners like you and me. He went low. But Philippians 2 Uh, continues in verses 9 through 11. It says, Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Jesus went low very low in his humiliation in order to save us from our sins. Somebody likened Jesus' self-humiliation to the uh, final groaning clicks of the gears um, on, on a catapult as the gears are ratcheted down, down, down ever tighter It creates an explosive tension. And Christ went down, down, down. And the the explosive tension was palpable. And when the gear was tripped, Christ was launched into an indescribable exaltation. Uh, In Philippians 2, it literally says that God hyper- exalted Jesus. He super exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. Because Christ went so low to serve us, Paul says, that then is how we should serve others. Christ went low, we are to go low. Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. You know a Bible verse that I should have have mentioned. It went right by me, and it just appeared in my mind. And it's still in Philippians. In fact, I think it's uh, it flows out of the point I'm making when Jesus went low. And when we go low in Jesus, what God does is he catapults us into greatness, right? Um, and this Bible verse, I hope I can find it. Um, chapter, it's in chapter 2 of Philippians. Yes, verse 14 and following. Paul says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run run in vain or labor in vain. We go low. We don't grumble against each other. We are humble and, and, and count others' uh, considerations as more important than ourselves. We love other people. We notice those who um, are typically not noticed. We, we reach out and minister to the children. We reach out and minister to those who, who don't have. We, we look outside ourselves, and as we go low... Christ explodes us out uh, to be beautiful, shining stars in this very dark and evil world. Well, uh, now to get back on track here, uh, moving on to um, verses 49 and 50. The discussion about spiritual greatness seemed to pierce John's tender heart. Uh, the Apostle John, he did have a tender heart. Apparently, the disciples had come upon a successful freelance exorcist. I would assume it was while they were out uh, during their preaching ministry, preaching tour in Galilee, and they come they came across this guy, and he's he's exor- exercising demons from people. Well, who is this guy? Is he encroaching? On our ministry? You know, what's what's happening here? So the disciples shut him down. And I think this is only my opinion. I didn't really read this from, from other uh, sources. So that means take it for what it's worth. <laughs> uh, but my opinion is that John learned the lesson of the small child. So he realized that the disciples were being sinfully prideful when they shut this exorcist down. Uh, Because the disciples were thinking nobody but them could cast out the demons. He's encroaching on the ministry that Jesus gave us. And so Jesus corrected their thinking when John asked this question. Um, I guess it would... uh, it would bear for me to read the question. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. And so, uh, here's Jesus' response in verse 50. But Jesus said to him, Do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. Uh, I think, Jesus is telling the disciples how they should view others. Uh, They're not to think the worst of people. Boy, isn't that something that our society and our nation needs to hear right now? Um, Especially in this moment in our nation's history. Jesus is telling his disciples to treat others with magnanimity. uh, To look at their motives with generosity. In other words, believe the best about people. I think I read something about that in 1 Corinthians 13, in the love chapter. Love does not um, look to accuse. So Jesus, I think, is telling the disciples, don't be narrow-minded, don't be eager to judge. Jesus is not talking about heretics and the unfaithful. I think he's talking about those who are faithful but differ on the non-essentials. Um, We should not see our fellow churches in the Brandon area as rivals if they are opposing sin and preaching the gospel and seeking God's kingdom. Every church in our area has a ministry, frankly, that we don't have by definition. (laughs) Um, And they are reaching people that we are not reaching or not able to reach. And Jesus, I think, is saying we must want them to flourish and to succeed. As a Presbyterian pastor, I honestly believe that Presbyterian theology is the closest thing to biblical teaching. Uh, But every church believes that they are doing what is right and best, right? Otherwise, uh, if, if they didn't believe they were doing what is right and best, they'd change their practice to uh, do what they think is right and best. There's always going to be mavericks in God's kingdom. Apollo was out there preaching the gospel on his own before Priscilla and Aquila met him and uh, and helped steer him in the right direction. Uh, while Paul was in Rome, it was reported to him that there were rival preachers out there who were seizing the opportunity to preach uh, and gather a following, following while Paul was locked up. You know, horrible, as they tell Paul. But what Paul responded was, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Remember Numbers chapter 11. This will come up um, when we finally get to Luke chapter 10. Um, uh there were a couple of, of uh, elders back in the uh, in the back in the camp who were prophesying, and uh, Joshua ran up. Moses, Moses, there are two uh, uh, elders prophesying, and Moses said, "I wish that all God's people were prophets." Or, or what about Jonathan? Jonathan was naturally in line to be in the succession to be king. And instead, he did everything he could to see David become the king. And we could go on and on. John the Baptist, I must decrease that Jesus may increase. All these examples of generosity in judgment. Our nation needs the church right now more than ever. There are millions upon millions who need the foundational truth of God's Word because they are trying to live their lives on the shifting sands of relativism. It won't end well. They need God's Word. Our nation needs the love of Christ that teaches us that the least are great in God's kingdom. Our nation needs the generosity of judgment that tries to see the best in others rather than tearing each other down. Our nation needs the community of the redeemed where we are called to count uh, one another as more important than ourselves. Our nation needs the Lord Jesus Christ. Our nation needs the gospel. Christ is our only hope. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord God, we thank you for this rebuke to the disciples. Lord, we feel the sting ourselves because we are all too quick to trust in our abilities, to make ourselves out to be better than we are, to take our eyes off of Jesus and to take His grace for granted. Oh, Lord, I pray that You would... Make us as a congregation and all the congregations that love Jesus here in Brandon, in our nation and around the world, make us strong in the proclamation of Jesus Christ. Make us strong in our trust in Him. Make us to be a light shining on a hill because our nation and our world needs Jesus so badly. We pray this in His name. Amen.